Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everyone to episode one of the American Rugby Show. It is absolutely fantastic to be here. I am one of your hosts, Alex Corbicero, and I am joined by the one and only US Women's Sevens co-captain and my fiance, full disclosure, Abby Gestaitis, and USA Rugby legend, Todd Clever, the most capped eagle in history. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is the hardcore uh, group of the show, the hosts. You know, I've been buzzing about this this uh, project for a long time. And, you know, I thought about it a long time during cancer and other things going on this year. And I'm just, you know, finally excited that we actually have it here. Episode one is here and, and just in time for the launch of the MLR. Super stoked to be here. I gave up sitting in the sun to come inside and record this podcast. So equally passionate about it and super excited to chat rugby. Todd, how are we going? I know uh, Corbs is so excited for this. You can hear him and <laughs> in, uh, in buzzing. But uh, I think the people that are more excited is the actual players of the MLR. Um, I was on the, on the ground uh, for the opening LA game uh, at the Coliseum, watching all the games across the, across the states in MLR. People are buzzing that rugby is back. Six Nations completing. We're going to cover all the things uh, domestic and international. So this is going to be a great one. It's just so exciting times to rugby in America. It's been a it's been a rough year. Everyone's been sitting on the shelf waiting to get back to their rugby. And and you know, finally rugby in America is coming back. Sevens is on the way back. And and you know, let's just talk a little bit about the show and what people can expect other than um Todd mediating between Abby and myself. Got our opening segment, which is called the State of the Union, and that is where we're going to talk about the biggest sort of stories in the in the global game and in the American scene as well. And and this week, you know, we're, we're going to look at the launch of the MLR, no brainer. We're going to finish on the you know the, the final round of, of the Six Nations on NBC, and there's actually one more game to go, but technically that's round three, so we'll leave that there. And then also as well, Sevens return and and the importance of Sevens coming back, the run into the Olympics, and everything going on there. <laughs> Eagle Watch, which I'm super amped for covering all things USA Rugby. You know, Todd and I might get a word or two in in this podcast, so we're really looking forward to sharing our insight. Just jump in whenever Alex goes to take a breath. That's going to be my advice going forward. The breakdown. We're going to dive deep in the MLR. We have an awesome guest. We have Rob Hoadley, uh, former uh, head coach of the San Diego Legion, coach of the year. Uh, it's going to be great to get his thoughts and insight on what he saw in the opening round. We've got a really stacked show. And uh, yeah, I'll try not to talk too much as always. Let's get to our first segment, the State of the Union. State of the Union, welcome. A long-waited is the MLR Season 4 kickoff, gentlemen. Tell me your opening thoughts. The teams across the board were, uh, you could tell they were just caged up animals right when that start whistle, that <laughs> first kickoff, they just went after it. So it was aggressive rugby, big tackles, big hits, uh, you know, some tempers were flying, cards were going off, uh, you know, the Richter. But along with that, there was some great skill. Uh, one of the concerns I know that there was, you know, from, from head coach Gary Gold to all the players and all the coaches are such a short preseason. And, you know, is that going to, you know, allude to, you know, is it going to be a preseason game or, or is there going to be more injuries or, or how is it going to take? But I think uh, across the board, everybody responded well and and uh, you could tell the dedication on all the athletes. They were fit. They were ready to go. 
And, uh, you know, we had some great, great rugby uh, along the weekend with some, with a couple upsets and, uh, you know, some great plays. Yeah, it was a fantastic debut. I thought, I thought everyone's been waiting it for a long time. I, I've, I, me included. And, you know, obviously full disclosure, I'm, I'm scrum coaching for the LA Guiltinis this season. So I have a little bit more inside knowledge of like, the behind the scenes aspect. And I think Todd hit the nail on the head. The biggest challenge to getting this thing off the ground, well, the two biggest challenges was one, you know, the short preseason and actually getting uh, teams ready in a short period of time to put a product on that would look good on TV, that would be good for fans and, and be competitive rugby, which I think on a whole was achieved. I, I think the standard is only going to get better week on week because w just watching the games already, you, w uh, from an LA point of view, have learned so much of, of things to work on. And I'm sure every team is a similar boat and it's going to just keep progressing that way week on week. But then the biggest factor was COVID and the fact that we actually – you know, they got the, the league off the ground. They got things running. You know, there's there's been, you know, so many sporting events canceled, postponed, delayed because of this along the way. And I think the MLR, the fact they were able to pull off the opening weekend, yes, one game was moved to the Sunday because it was one positive. Uh, and, and so that they had to then do extra testing and time to allow that those that game could be put on. But on a whole, to get this thing off the ground, um, I, I thought it was fantastic. One little hiccup, like you said, not bad for opening weekend, given where we are right now in our nation. And super awesome to see all these incredible players coming from overseas, get here safely, be able to integrate into the teams. How about the rugby network? Talk me a little bit about that, Todd. Yeah, I mean, what a great partnership. I mean, to be able to watch, you know, live, postponed, delayed coverage uh, globally, to team up with uh, with an actual site that that is committed to rugby. So, um, you know, it's not Facebook Live, it's not ESPN Plus, it is, you know, a couple clicks away and you're able to watch all MLR action. You know, I was up late last night watching, up early this morning, and, uh, you know, really impressed with the coverage and, and the dedication. So, Again, you know, all credit to each of the teams, the coaches, the owners, all the players, and all the way to the top to uh, the commissioner, George Kilbrew, uh, of actually hammering down and doing the hard yards. And, and, you know, it is a costly thing that these owners are putting in to making sure that uh, the players are safe, the coaches and staff, management, um, and ultimately soon, hopefully the fans. So that's, uh, that's the biggest thing. So for us to play uh, a huge part of education, uh, the general public, introducing rugby, making it easy to access. Right. So you just hit it on the head with the broadening rugby to everyone and allowing access. So how is that going to pick up the MLR? Are more people going to be able to watch or will more people know what rugby is at this point? I think it's a pivotal moment for the MLR. And, and I think it's, it's a massive moment in their growth. And it's kind of a, a, an innovative moment too, because it's not really any other leagues that have, have gone about doing it how they're doing it. You know, they're not in a position where they're going to be making big money on their TV rights yet because they're too in their infancy of their growth. But to partner with someone like Rugby Pass, who is very established, that has a, a great track record of, of buying rights, broadcasting rights all across the world in different regions and everything, to actually bring them in and partner and make your own OTT service, I think was pretty clever. It's a very good hub for fan engagement. And then it increases their brand and, and interest that is definitely circling abroad. There's no doubt about it with a Matt Gitto and Adam Ashley Cooper, a Chris Robshaw and Andy Ellis, all these big names across the world. Now those curious eyes have a destination to go. We could talk about the MLR all day, but we'll save a bit of it for our breakdown with Rob Hoadley, Todd and Alex in a little bit later.
Talk to us, Alex, a little bit about Six Nations. I know a lot's been going on. Oh, well, it, don't even get me started. You think I'm teeing up on the Rugby Network? Just wait till you get me started on the Six Nations. On NBC, for everyone listening, make sure you check out Peacock TV. We can get every game live and on demand. Got that little plug out the way. Okay, Six Nations, we are supposed to have our final weekend. There's obviously one game that was, was uh, you know, postponed Scotland France around three which has to be played this week and so the big question was Wales coming in form from four could they pull it off and you know up until a minute to go it looked like they got it done you know you had you had you had a red card you had potential you had yellow cards at one point France had a red card but Wales had two yellows so France were actually a man up even with a red card went down to the final minute France scored. It, it, it honestly was fantastic. I thought Wales' ability to take it to France and put them under pressure was incredible. Wales dropping the ball, missing the grand slam. All of a sudden now, with France getting that last try in the last minute, it gave them a bonus point, which then eventually means that they have one more round to play. And if they have to play Scotland, I believe they have to win by 22 points next week with a bonus point, but it, as at, it is at home. So it basically means that the, the Six Nations is going to finish next week and we do not know the answer. But at least I'm glad if there's one round to go, it matters instead of a nothing game. And so for me, I thought I thought the Welsh, you know, you'd be gutted for them. So Corbs, do you think Wales is going to give them some uh, extra coaching or tips on uh, on how to beat France just so they can uh, secure that uh, that win? <laughs> I'm telling you, all the Wales will be cheering, cheering for the Scots. And so the Celtic bond will be strong. You never know what sort of insides are going to be needed. And, you know, the curious thing with this game, as well as the side story, is this is actually out the next week is out of the international windows. So it's it's been tricky um, actually getting this game off the ground because technically um, the clubs don't have to release the, the Scottish players, especially the English clubs who have premiership games. The French clubs have to renegotiate It's with their release windows. It's quite a tricky thing. So the fact we even got this game is, is fantastic. And, uh, you know, I wanted Wales to win the Grand Slam. I thought, you know, they got there with absolute luck, um, but they were <laughs> in the big game and they brought it. They had, you know, two games with a red card, one game with some you know, shocking referee decisions from England, uh, from the referee against England. And then they, you know, they, they absolutely smoked Italy. So for me, it, it almost was going to be a perfect story for Wayne Pivak to turn his season around. But we got one more week. France v Scotland. I, I think France smash them. I just think they're too physical for Scotland. Scotland are a good team, good nuts and bolts, but I don't think they have the physicality to handle the firepower of the French. Unsurprising, the former England internationals blaming the ref for the game, but alas, not, we will not, move on. Not blaming it, but <laughs> well, just you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, France's, of Wales and Six Nations. I think it has to be in the narrative. I'm thinking, well, the Welsh Rugby Union is going to you know dig into their pockets and and help cover some of those costs <laughs> that these clubs and this country so they're able to stack this uh you know scottish team out there and if the scottish team bring what they brought you know against england earlier in the six nations uh you know they're uh they're up for a great game against france there's some serious english hate going on here which is <laughs> nothing new in the rugby world <laughs> but uh yeah scotland i think the key for scotland is is their kicking game i think um they have kicked very well very clever put the ball behind teams got a lot of return from that and because they they are behind I, th I don't think they can match France's physicality if I was them I would kick a lot I, I know it might be boring to some but if you want to beat a bigger side like that kick behind them get the ball back return frustrate them and then look to play fast and, and tempo rugby that they play later in the game as the game opens up all right you called it boring yourself so we'll shift away from 15s over to sevens the more athletic 
code of rugby. All right, seven. Sevens five. is back. And you and you can't say it's not uh, as physical. Uh, look at your face, Abby. You know you have uh, what nine stitches in uh, above your uh, above your eye. There you go. So it's just as physical, more athletic. So. Oh, sporting the old Nelly look from like the late 90s, I think. I think he was down on the cheek, but I just upgraded it a little bit. Uh, nothing like a training injury from your own teammate to really keep things spicy down at the training center. All right. So speaking of sevens return, Abby, it is it is opening up in the world again. You know, sevens is probably the last factor of rugby to return, mainly because it's based a lot of the time on events and crowds. So you and all your teammates and all your fellow sevens players have had to wait patiently for, for pretty much just over a year now for competition. You know, how excited are you that the, the series is being announced after Olympics? You've got dates running into the Olympics. It's all starting to come together. It's a whole roller coaster. It's massive, though. We're absolutely stoked to get to travel again, which is, like you said, it's a huge part of sevens, you know, anywhere from six to 16 teams getting together. So that's part of the reason it's been put off so long. COVID and different regulations with every country. Luckily, we got to travel to Madrid last month and compete for the first time in 13 months. COVID let us down a little bit. We had about four positive cases in the women's teams. And so our second weekend, unfortunately, we had to pull out just to protect our players and staff and just do what's best for the girls right now. Uh, we did get a chance to play the first weekend, finishing third. Uh, actually pretty disappointing for us, losing to France and Russia, who are both great competitive teams, but first time playing against another opposition in 13 months. So it's good to get back out there. Yeah, I was going to ask, what what's that like when you, you, you know, we found this a little bit when I was in the coaching in the preseason, when you're training against yourselves, there's only so much you find out until you actually scrimmage or play against you know opposition that don't know your calls don't know your plays and actually you know you, you have that sort of almost that fear of that that unknown that it just raises the intensity a little bit definitely right you go from training your or training with your teammates and yes it's still full contact in a scrimmage but at the end of the day that's your mate or that's your friend and you just can't get that same level up but I think that was one thing that held us back a little bit in Madrid was getting that tournament level hype of, oh no, we're back. Like this is, this is it. And this is what we've been working for, but we just didn't like step up to that point and it let us down in our physicality. And as the American team, that's one of our biggest assets. Like we're those big, strong physical girls out there. No one wants to play us, but we have to bring it. We can't just expect it to happen. And I think, you know, we just didn't get to our level of play. And, and then just as an athlete, how did you find it being, you know, going from all your careers of playing in front of crowds a lot of the time and then and you, these sevens events representing your country, the anthem, the crowd, the atmosphere, and then you had that long wait waiting for it and then you come back and it is sort of quiet, empty, different. Did, did that affect the mood or the ability to get yourselves up for the games at all or, or was, that, was that not an issue? It was different, but definitely lower down on the list of priorities. Um, we were just amped to get to play again and against another opposition. I think it's something we might have to get used to with the Olympics just announcing no foreign spectators as devastating blow to all the athletes, honestly. 
Um, let's just hope that Japan will let residents fill the stadiums. Like we, we just want people to witness it. It's just an incredible opportunity. And, you know, the culmination of athletics. I do still have my Japanese residency card. So, you know, <laughs> I'm go. hoping that is yes, the case. Go. And it is, you know, it is my prized possession along with my passport. So I will be there, red, white, and blue, cheering, uh, cheering you on, Abby. That's for sure. Yes. Hell yeah. We, we need, Todd, we need you on the sidelines. You're the, you're the, the American rugby show correspondent. You know, you're going to have to be reporting the LA Giltini sideline uh, reporter and and the American rugby show. We're going to have to make this a thing this season. <laughs> Feel good about it. Well, that is a wrap on the first State of the Union. And now let's get ready for the next segment, which is the Eagle Watch. We talk all things USA rugby, and we also have a surprise little guest for you. All right, welcome to our next segment, Eagle Watch. Uh, really excited for this, and I think it's real fitting having uh, two, two USA rugby representatives here with myself and... We're about to have a third as well. We've got, a, we've got a great interview lined up with the one and only Lou Stanfill as well to come. So stay tuned for that. But Abby, uh, you know, while we got you here, I think, you know, Eagle Watch right now, the big thing going on is we talked a little bit in the State of the Union, but Sevens has finally returned. The Olympics are still confirmed after waiting for some of, you know, the uncertainty around that. You now have, you know, events announced in the run into the Olympics. You know you're going to get some games and tournaments in, in that format. You're just getting ready to go to Dubai. You know, how are you and, and the girls feeling as a, as a team running into the Olympics now with all going on? It's exciting time, still a lot of uncertainty, you know, as an athlete, given the course of the last year and a half, you don't want to, you know, set your hopes up too high and just be smashed. So I think it's always in the back of your mind, but with the dates and plane ticket for Thursday morning handed out, uh, we're going to Dubai to play in our second invitational tournament, just the women this time, the men will not be attending but we will be there with France and Canada, hopefully Japan, Brazil. So it's a lot of top teams. We're really excited to get the opportunity. Canada being, you know, a couple hours away, but you know, let's fly 16 hours to play them. It seems like Canadians are allowed to come into America anytime soon. So I think, you know, and that is going to be a fantastic showdown. And you know, you touched on a little bit of, of you got to play France and Russia. Now, now you have Canada as well. Like, you know, how how real does that make it that it, it's almost there? Like you, you are you are getting back to where you were. You've almost had to hit pause for a whole year, but it's finally happening. I think after get, um, getting our feet wet in Madrid, it's definitely made it a lot more realistic. We got one tournament under our belt just Going back to that roller coaster of emotions that is Sevens rugby, right? Like getting hyped up for three three different times in the day to, you know, go blast for 14 minutes. And it's it's real, it's setting in, and we're stoked. Canada is incredible opposition. And we wouldn't underestimate anyone, but we're really looking forward to playing them. It's always a physical match. They have some incredible athletes, incredible rugby players, and you know, it's always a good showdown. I, I I'm excited to watch it. Uh, no, no shock. I'll be watching uh, as everyone probably knows who follows me. All right, Todd, let's talk the men, men's sevens. You know, we, we've talked women's sevens and, and two, right, but we've got to touch on the men as well. You know, they, their preparations are hampered a little bit. They've got some key injuries to some big names, but there is the exciting news of the return of Nate Ebner 
Yes, Super Bowl champion Nate Ebner. He is back trying to make the sevens dream a thing for the Olympics. He was going to come last year for Tokyo in 2020. He then, obviously, with the disruptions, didn't, went back to the, to the NFL. Now he's back again. Uh, just sum up the men and what's going on for them right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mike Friday and his, his players, like you said, there's a few injuries that, that are key with Perry Baker that has some uh, some rehab um, and a couple others. But you know what? Those guys are so bought in, so invested, just like our, our women are, um, and they're doing the work. So, you know, the, the likes of, you know, Nate coming in, he is a rugby guy, you know, that has played a little bit of football, won a few uh, Super Bowls. But, uh, you know, he's amped up. I talked to him when he was uh, moving from East Coast back to San Diego. Uh, you know, he's excited for the challenge. And he knows it's not a walk in the park. He does, you know, he does, doesn't have a, a name on the back of his jersey. He's, uh, he's got a lot of work to put into it uh, to compete. And uh, no matter what's going to happen with, you know, him personally, if he's going to make it, he's making that squad better. He's going to have that competitive nature. He's going to, you know, push people to drive to the places that, uh, that are very dark, places that, uh, you know, uh, out of your comfort zone. So it's really exciting for them. And, you know, like, I, like we talked about earlier, you know, their, their next big, big thing is going to be Tokyo. Crowd or no crowds, you're wearing the, that flag, you're, you're representing USA uh, at the Olympic Games, having those Olympic rings around you. Uh, there, there's no better atmosphere, no better uh, platform. And Abby, the, the men aren't going to Dubai, are they, are they not? They're not going to Dubai. So France is the World Series okay. event. So that's our first World Series. It's a double men and women. And then the men will have LA as well. And, and I believe the women, you'll have a fast four or some form of participation at the LA event. Shout out Dan Lyle, AEG, and everyone there putting on that event and getting some rugby back in the States as well, which will be good. Definitely. It'll be great to have the women get to play in LA as well. It's a great tournament last year. Um, and to be able to participate will be even better. And then hopefully a full-time stop down the line as well, which I, th I think everyone's hoping for. Uh, for the long-term future of, of having men and women's at LA. But but I think, you know, sevens chat, I know it's going to be hard for you, Abby. We're going to have to park that. We're going to have to get back to, to 15s. And I said we had a treat. We had an, in, an interview in this Eagle Watch section. We are joined by the one and only. I love saying the one and only, but he is the one and only, this guy. An absolute character. <laughs> Lou Stanfield, three World Cups for the U.S. Eagles, San Diego Legion, absolute wrecking ball and you know he's been fighting a, a good fight himself at the moment but it's an absolute uh pleasure to have you on the pod i know you you and todd are very very close as well so todd's itching to go i will i will take i will take it exactly. over from here Corbs. i mean you know i know you did justice <laughs> but um i've known louie for you know since uh 2000 played against each other in high school he went to jesuit uh, in sacramento i played for bellarmine college park uh, we played against each other at university, Cal Berkeley, the Bears versus uh, University of Nevada, Reno, Wolfpack. Uh, we played together, All-Americans all for the college, All-Americans. We went on tour. We played together for 10 plus years. We roomed together for majority of those years uh, on the Eagles uh, World Cups. I was there for your first cap in Japan. You've captained the team. We have uh, stories and stories, and, and you are one of my favorite person on this planet, you know, not just a teammate, but person in general. So welcome to the show, Louis. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thank you very much for having me. That's quite an introduction. And all of it true. <laughs> Those are the best kind. Unlike no. some of the stories that will happen after this. Um, do you have one highlight, you know, of your, your rugby career as a as a as an eagle? 
Oh man, I mean, one 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 highlight that always stands out to me was our very first, my very first cap in the 07 World Cup, where we played against England in Lens, and you know the stadium was massive. They had to hold at least close to fifty thousand. And um, we came out for the game, right? We're, we're on the field, and right as everything starts kind of wrapping up from our warm up, getting on to the getting ready to play, that's when all the England fans started swing, singing "Swing Low, Sweet uh, Chariot," and it was going around in a circle. I was just beside myself. I was, I felt like I was in a movie going in a carousel. I was, it was incredible. And then you know the just the the general ambiance and the level of the play, but that is a memory that I always think about fondly. And not only that, but I mean, do you remember all of the uh, motorcades that we would have going to games because this was post nine 11 and they were up at arms about, uh, you know, all of the potential terrorist threats that could be like, I remember every single overpass that we went under was blocked and there was a cop. There was two helicopters, three motorcycle, uh, two cars. And then, two undercover it was nuts man every time we went someplace like our our doors were taped with security taped and you could tell if they were broken and oh man that was a that, that was a crazy tour that was a real real experience right there yeah 2007 was was definitely one of the highlights and and ex- exactly what you said you know playing against our opening pool match against england uh they're you know reigning world cup champions from 2003 uh had them open Pack stadium just full of English, you know, it was 99.5%, you know, English fans and, uh, you know, being in that. I actually remember this game. I I watched it and and you guys started so well, like you frustrated England early victory. Did he trip? He tripped someone in that game, didn't he? Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That I was like, like, man, England looked frustrated. And I'm obviously I've, you know, been attached to the USA my whole life as a kid as well. Like had mixed emotions. First time I'd really witnessed USA and England play. And then I was just amped that the US was was giving it some. Um, who is it? McDonald, the big prop as well. I remember he played, he had a pretty good game, some nice carries. And, I, and then I knew him from, uh, he mm-hmm. played at Leeds, I think at the time as well. And I just remember like you guys, mate, it was a good showing that game. It was one of those games that, you're up against, you know, a giant and, you know, our chances of victory, obviously on, on, you know, if you're betting man or anything else is, you know, David versus Goliath sort of thing. And we just relished it and we were proud of our performance afterwards. And we just, you know, that was a whole thing, you know, being on the Eagles, you, you know, you can make these tournaments, but you don't want to just go there to participate. You want to go there and compete and you want to, you know, level yourself against the world's best. You know, if it's Delalio, if it's, you know, Barkley, like you said, Jason Robinson on the wing. I mean, what, what fun we had, you know, playing against people that, you know, we watched in six nations, you know, leading up to it. When we were playing in front of, you know, a few hundred people or a couple thousand people, they were playing week in, week out. Question for Lou, then we've talked about your Eagle highlight. What is your MLR highlight? Because you had met you, yeah, you had, a, you had a good second innings at uh, at San Diego there at the end. Oh man, you know, I when I think back in my rugby playing days, you know, obviously everything I'd done to be on the national team was always on the forefront, but in terms of experiences with clubs as a semi professional. My time with the Legion was some of the most cherished rugby experiences I've ever had. And I think it was it was more about being able to do it on my own terms. Uh, 
when I retired, you know, I was broken. My body was broken. I was just, I was putting everything into the jersey. And ultimately, when I started getting towards the tail end, I wasn't performing well enough to maintain my appearance in that jersey. And so um, it was definitely time to leave. But after a little bit of rest, I had realized, you know, I had gotten a little bit of, um, a little bit of strength back. I got an opportunity first with uh, Austin when uh, my good friend Todd here gave me a call and says, hey, we're short on numbers. Can you come in and play reserve? And I said, I, you bet your ass I can. I felt like I had a Rocky moment, you know. There goes some something left in the basement. And so, um, so uh, with the Legion, though, I would say, um, oh, man, so many good experiences. We had a good drink up in Houston after we played the Sabercats that uh, I, I, I can't share too much of that on the, on this podcast, but it was good. Everyone was bought in and you we didn't go anywhere. Anything. We just stayed in, we stayed in the hotel. It was just us. So, um, but uh, for better or worse, I'll tell you what, that the closing moments of that final, as much as it pains me, that's one of the memories that sticks with me because that's just the way life is sometimes. You win some and you lose some, and it sucks when you lose, but there's always lessons in there, even when it's your last opportunity. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was so great to see you come back after, you know, you hung up the boots internationally and thought you were done. And I remember, you know, you know, I know you well, we, we talk often, catch up families and everything. And uh, I knew that there was something left in the tank. And that's why, you know, I wanted to give you a call and, and so glad you, know, you play, you know, for, you know, you, the right reasons. A lot of times you kind of get stuck when you get started contracts or you start playing, uh, you know, high performance level um, internationally that you're doing it for a paycheck or you're doing it because it's a goal and you're doing this. But the the whole reason of why you got in the game is for enjoyment. And that was uh, that was definitely awesome to see you, you know, perform and, and express uh, express that on the field. Appreciate that, Toddy. Yeah. You know, um, not every rugby career is perfect, but um you know, for me, I was real blessed to be able to travel the world. I didn't make any money doing it, but, uh, you know, um, uh, like you said, I didn't have the, the paperwork or the, um, the weight of continuing to do this in order to support myself to be something that was my, why I did it. You know, I did it because I loved doing it. And I remember my dad asking me after, right before, I think it was about 2012, 2013, he asked me, am I going to keep doing this? And I said, yeah, I'm going to go for one more World Cup. And he said he was confused because he had seen the struggling that happened. You know, of course, he, as a parent, you probably only focus on the negative things that you see go on with your child's life and how it challenges them. And and he was confused. He said, why? And I, I didn't have an answer. I looked at him. I said, for the glory. You know, that was all I could come up with. And he just rolled his eyes and just continued on. And, yeah, those next four years were hard, but I did it. And um, no one can take that away from me now. No, I mean, you say you don't make any money, but I mean, you did play, uh, has, had a stint in Italy, played professional there and uh, set aside with, you know, the dollar sign next to it. You, uh, you are one of the richest men I know with a loving, supporting family. Um, you know, your story, your airplane miles, your, your caps, your jerseys. I mean, you, uh, you, you, you tell one hell of a story and, and uh, you're, you're one of the guys, guys. I mean, you, people, people want to be around you. Um, even in the locker room, even in the showers, you know, they're going to get inspected, but, uh, but you bring, it, <laughs> you bring it, you bring it. And, and I mean, you are, you're a top notch guy, future hall of famer, a guy that's really brought it. While we're on that, yeah, I, 
you're a fighter, mate. And and I think, you know, you can see that in the way you played. Like when I watched San Diego, you stood out from a mile away, just the physicality and the, the desire to to bring that every phase that you're involved. I, I loved it. It bled through your game. And, and, you know, just to transition from rugby, your fighting right now, you know, is something that I can, that resonates a lot with me, uh, with, you know, with the experience of cancer that I've had in the last sort of 18 months or so. Um, do you mind opening up a little bit about your situation with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got diagnosed on Friday the 13th in November 2020. What a what a day. And, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, Corbs, I mean, you don't think it can happen to you until all of a sudden the doctor, you know, tells you, you know, I had I had I went in to have a mole removed on my head that my barber kept running over with this comb. And I was like, oh, OK, it's time for me to remove this. And the doctor looked at my neck and I had some lumps and he said, let me check those out too. And that's how I got diagnosed. I went in for an autopsy or a, um, a biopsy. Yeah, autopsy, just, thank God. I was going to say, you're a tough man, but that's a tough. I'm not that holy. Uh, but um, but uh, yeah, so it was rough, you know. Um, but once I wrapped my head around, you know, I, I was – it's very fortunate to be diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is one of the most treatable cancers out there. And um, it was a, it was a, it was, it's a slog, right? You know, as well as anyone, chemo is not for the faint of um, the faint of the willed, right? Cause it's a day in and day out, just grind. And it takes you down from operating at, you know, let's say you operate at a 95 out of a hundred. Well, now you got to operate out of a 65 and then day by day, it just chips a little more away until you're actually coming back. And, um, and then I had radiation after that, but I've luckily my treatment went really well. And, um, uh, I got my, the amount of radiation I needed got cut to, uh, uh, a third of what it was supposed to be. And so now I'm done with treatment. I'm waiting for the doctor to give a order for my next PET scan. And then I'm hopefully I'm disease free. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, it's, you know, you know, as well as I do, right. The the amount of perspective that you gain from a journey like this is unlike any other. Uh, one of the things that was really, um, eye-opening me is I, I, someone added me onto this Facebook group that was just a support group called, um, uh, the how, uh, the pack, the wolf pack. And it's for men who are either undergoing treatment or battling treatment or, uh, supporting someone and you hear success stories, but then you also have to read the, the posts that say like doctors gave me two weeks, they're putting me on comfort care. And you look at the picture and the person's my, you know, your own age and, you just think, geez, like this is something that truly affects more than you could ever think. And to rub up against it um, really reflects back on the um, the mortality of a situation and of us as humans. So I was real lucky for that. And now it's one of those things where we used to talk about living each day to the fullest. Well, now you got a chance to actually do it. And don't uh, don't take a single day for granted. Don't take a single day to not train or not be better or not prove yourself because just as Toddy knows it better than anyone, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Man, what what an inspiration. I mean, that those, those words alone and, and the wealth and knowledge that you have and experience of, you know, living it, but not just living it, you're speaking it and, and passing that on to, to, to me, to Corbs, to everybody else. You guys are both, you know, ha- have gone through the tough days and and the, and the grind and, and being the toughest thing. Um, on top of that all, I mean, I want to get into life right now. I mean, obviously you're bit, you're probably the busiest man I know 
still doing this stuff, Louis. I mean, you're you're in the firefighting academy in Sacramento. Uh, you, you've like like we just talked about, you know, battling what you're battling. Uh, you have a, a mini zoo at your house with all the pets, with the chickens and cats and dogs and everything else. <laughs> you have a couple of rugrat kids that are jumping off uh, off the roof and everything else. And uh, man, how incredible! Not just you, but how incredible is your wife? I mean, how do you guys do it? Yeah, man, you marry up. That's for sure. If you can do any one good thing in life, it's marry someone that's much better than yourself. And um, that's something I definitely did. So I'm, I, I count my um, count my blessings there. But um, but yeah, I got the I got that call for the uh, the fire academy two weeks after I got diagnosed, and I was like, do I do this? Do I not? Like, I want to be cancer, but you don't ever get the chance to go to a fire department and get a conditional hiring opportunity. I mean, that happens very. Some people take almost a decade to get on the department, and you know, for me, that was about twenty months. So I I said, you know what, whatever. Uh, I had my last chemo on a Monday. On the next Tuesday. I went into the academy and you know, it's just a grind. Just they take it minute by minute, day by day. And, um, but yeah, certainly doesn't leave much room for socializing or even really watching as much rugby as I want. But, um, you know, if there's one thing that I love, it's the grind and being in the trenches and the academy is nothing but that. So, you know, I'm like a pig in his own filth when it comes to uh, doing what I want to do every single day. I mean, all I'm doing is training. And, you know, I'll be much better when I become a firefighter, but this is pretty much second best and I'll take it. And, um, yeah, you come home and two kids full of energy, a wife that's been working all day and is now taking care of the kids. So it's about balancing that and being a present dad and, you know, not just coming home and doing what I want to do or doing what has to be done and studying, you know, I, what has to and I want to do is spend time with my children. And so um, it makes for long days, you know, I'm usually up at four. If I'm lucky, I get to bed by 930 and then do it again and again and again until that bell is answered. I'm done with the done with the academy and I'm a probationary firefighter and and then nothing else really changes. Wow. You guys blaze the trail for those to follow and, and the guys who are in the MLR now and the pathway they have is so much you know, better insulated and reinforced than it ever was before that you guys did it. You almost like the American landscape sort of pieced yourself together and found yourself in the same place where now there's actual pathways coming up. I, I think the future is bright. I concur. Yeah. The MLR, the, you know, the young, the young men who are able to compete and hopefully eventually that put that turns into young women and in a, in a structure where you can be professional and you can be supported uh, and you're going to be uh, together with like-minded people. I mean, like we said, the amateur the amateur situation it kind of produces a different type of um, international player where it's all heart. Well, now we get the opportunity to really take that heart and add on that skill element and really push rugby in the United States to uh, breaking through that tier two and into the tier one, hopefully within the next decade. Amen to that as well. You've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, you're such an inspiration. Corbs, you have any uh, Louis, last you're remarks? A hero, mate. Um, you give me inspiration. I think the fact you're able to do this fight with everything else you've got going on, especially being a dad at the same time and a husband, um, it, it, you know, I have so much admiration for that. I, I, I couldn't even imagine doing my experience with what you have on your plate. So mate, you're a credit to it. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys for having me. Thank you for the kind words. And um, anytime you need me, I'm here. All right, it's time for the breakdown. And to talk MLR, I didn't think it was possible to talk without having 
Rob Hoadley on the show. Todd, you know, you know this guy as well as I do, but former coach of San Diego Legion, former MLR coach of the season. Um, Rob, it, it's fantastic to have you on. And I just want to get your opening thoughts on the at the MLR quickly. You know, first time actually sitting as a fan and not in, in the hot seat of, of, of coaching and operation in this league. What did you think? Yeah, I've been kicking back, mate. Yeah, had the uh, dressing gown and the slippers on. Um, was waiting for uh, Todd to come round with a couple of cigars, but unfortunately he had business up in LA. Uh, so no, it was really enjoyable. Really enjoyable my uh, first weekend as an MLR fan and uh, taking in all the other games and uh, keeping an eye on you know a lot of old friends. So uh, no, it's great. And, and I know you guys have been discussing the product now that MLR are putting out, but something we've discussed, um, just the, the, the stadiums, the, the pitches now that the guys are able to play in, which obviously helps the brand of rugby. But, you know, I think Houston uh, was looking fantastic, the surface there. And, and I think, you know, the Coliseum is a big step up in production value and it adds a lot to the league just from watching it, the way it looked. I actually went there. We trained uh, the LA Giltini's trained there on, on the Tuesday, got to walk on the field. Todd, you stepped on it too. Um, you know, how fantastic is the setup there and what they have on offer? And, and it's just stepping up, you know, the, the product and the, 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 the view of the league from the outside in, especially. I mean, that's what we have to do, you know, sort of as uh, as MLR and that's what LA owners and, and GMs are doing is, is they're putting the best. It's, they want to be second to none. They want to be a number one sporting event uh, and that's what they're doing. So they invested into it and the atmosphere was buzzing. I mean, on both sides, the LA team and, uh, and the guys from Boston, from New England coming in. Uh, you know, they were excited to come down that tunnel. You know, the, the history that's played in the Coliseum, it's a 98-year-old building, just got done with $315, $315 million renovation. Um, I mean, so looking around, the, the turf was great. People are in LA. And then if you look at the actual on-field rugby, I thought, you know, the biggest thing coming into this, and, and I, I, Rob, I, I know you probably know this better than anyone, is just having a short preseason, short time with the players and trying to get a full product out on the field, you know, for 80 minutes is so much harder than I probably ever gave it credit for. Like even watching LA, who I thought compared to across the league looked very good. There's still so much that needs to be done and to be working on. And I know that you had always a very short preseason with San Diego, disrupted by internationals coming in late, which I think every team has with the visa system in the US. And so you don't even, even if you have your best players on your field in round one, you don't quite actually have time with them to prepare as much as you'd like. So, you know, it kind of was apparent in some of the rugby for me, but I do expect as the league goes on week to week, it's going to keep growing. Yeah, for sure. And we'll, we can talk a bit about the style of rugby we saw, which does reflect, I think, some of it on the short preseason. I mean, we're, we're talking about eight weeks. We were complaining that was a bit short. <laughs> when I was coaching, it was almost like two, three weeks, four weeks, if you're lucky, for some of the teams here. Although I must say, for van der Merwe, um, I don't think he needed any preseason. He scored two tries within eight minutes. He hadn't beat a defender. I think we could even make a comeback with no preseason to do that. I think he was definitely enjoying himself. Yeah, I, I'm backing myself to score the same tries as him. That's all I'm telling him that. No. Um, <laughs> Maybe the run later where he beat four men, pirouetted, handed off. Uh, yeah, that, that's done. That's just him. Walking, that's so. all him. Um, but but I, I think if yeah. we actually look at the rugby, and, and, you know, there's only so much time in this party. You can't go through every game. So we're going to, like, you know, focus on one or two to get into detail. And I thought, while you're on the pod, we've got to look at San Diego, New York. 
shock loss for Legion, 5-0 and last year, all the way to the final the year before. Mm. And and they, they ran into a tough test in a Rooney game where the thing that surprised me about Rooney was the physicality that they brought in that game. Because for me, the point of difference San Diego's always had in this league is the ball carriers they have and, and the way that they use them to, to generate momentum and then control a game with a good yeah. kicking game, song set piece. But having that caliber of carrier, and, and I was surprised with the way that New York yeah. fronted up in that game and, and, and really made it a contest and then you know took it took away with it at the end. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I'm probably surprised by the result. I wasn't surprised by the physicality of Rooney. They always bring it. I mean, it's always a tasty clash. You know, it's been uh, down the years. We've had some fantastic battles with them uh, and we always look forward to it. And I think, you know, we can talk about the physicality between the two teams and who got the upper hand. But I think it was more a case of the attacking physicality versus the defensive physicality. Because... Kenny, Nazagenge, Sam, CC, they were getting gain line. They were winning uh, a, a gain line with their physicality in the first half. Uh, but New York took over. I thought the start of the game was a real good battle between... I thought Nate Augsburger was pulling the strings brilliantly for Legion uh, in the first 20 minutes. You know, you've got a young fly half there in Josh Steele. Uh, I thought Nate stepped up to really lead it. And, and, and Legion were winning the contacts. And um, I think, you know... The turning point was when they just uh, started falling off tackles. A, a couple of restart errors to lose field position. There was obviously the, the line-out drive try at the start uh, when New York came back. But then it was falling off uh, tackles. So if ever New York got five, six, seven phases, uh, they were getting game lines and, uh, and scoring. And, and I think it turned from Nate Augsburger controlling it into the, the wily old uh, uh, Andy Ellis taking control. And he did it in a slightly different way. He was changing direction a little bit. He had that lovely little shoulder ball pass uh, to set up the try. Uh, but it's great to see uh, the control of those two. Um, but I think after that period where Legion just lost their way a little bit, I think they started trying to go wide from set piece um, from, uh, from first phase around halfway. Not a bad idea to change it up. Uh, but with the wind, I don't think... Uh, they actually executed brilliantly on that. and uh, yeah, I felt and like the wind well was a huge to, factor to on mistakes. the game in general. And I, I think that is something, you know, that it, teams are going to have to really contend with. If, if Legion need to keep that venue in Vegas, which I believe they are, it is very much exposed to the elements. Um, you know, with that win there, I know, I, I believe they want to build some temporary seating there as as the season unfolds and fans are allowed. But, th- but that's something to contend with because I did feel like, you know, it's very hard sometimes to kick into the wind. It's hard to have width on your game when there's a wind absolutely gusting. And then, you know, even the line out having to be a lot more conservative at the line out and then set piece gets disrupted. I thought it it, it played a factor in, in sort of limiting the aspect of the rugby. It did. Obviously, when, we compare, when we're talking about, you know, in a second, watching LA on that perfect surface and going width to width and playing out the back options, that wasn't really a... a it was a different game, but you've got to be able to win different games in this league and in any league. Uh, and I thought one of the really interesting things was, uh, you know, if you, if you actually look through the stats, New York came out on the, the wrong end of a lot of stats, lost more lineouts, conceded more turnovers, made more tackles, um, uh, conceded more penalties, not by a lot, but they were on the wrong end of that. Plus, they had two men in the Simbin. So that's 20 minutes with 14 men. Um, so looking at the stats... You know, how did they get the ascendancy? Well, I think it was just that they were they were winning the physical uh, contact into that fifth, sixth phase of attack. Uh, and I think, you know, there could be a possibility, you, you know, you're looking at how Legion are going to evolve this year. Um, we were talking earlier, if you look at Legion uh, previously, they've, they've actually kicked the most out of any team in the league. And if you look at the 2019 final, 
uh, Seattle versus Legion, they were the two teams that kicked the most in the league. Now, it's not there's ways you can kick and the way you manipulate the defence to find the space and put pressure on them. But Legion kicked five times in this game. Uh, and if you look at the second half, uh, New York conceded a turnover in their own 22, which Legion scored from, which would suggest that getting the pressure down in that area would be good. And, and, and New York actually put in three kicks behind Legion in the second half. I think Save Tottersvall got turned over. Ryan Matias struggled with a dodgy bounce. Basson passed one back to Africa, who got tackled behind the, 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 the try line for a five-meter trump. They all set up scoring opportunities uh, for Rooney. Um, so I think... I think potentially, tactically, there could have been a little uh, a change there. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, the Legion team evolves. And obviously, they've got the maestro, Joe Peterson, out, who's who's going to be um, the one to come in and pull the strings. I also felt that um, maybe Rooney had a bit more depth off the bench and the forwards. That the forwards that came on later in the game, I thought there was a little bit of a drop-off in, 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 in Legion's set-piece uh, later on in the game. And I thought Rooney's ability to score that drive... At the end, they almost made it look too easy at one point. And then they started to have the scrum ascendancy later in the game as well. And that just sort of steered them con control. And, you know, it, I wasn't shocked that they lost. Um, but I kind of was too, just based on what Legion have done so far in this competition. And, you know, last year, 5-0 and hit the ground running. And I don't want to tote your, your bell too much. But, you know, in that camp, which is so juiced to winning, like how do you feel like they're going to have to to react uh, from from a result like this? They'll be fine, Corbs. That, Le that Legion side is going to be up there at the end of the season. Uh, you know, for me, their favourites coming into to the season. Testy and Scott are doing a great job. The players absolutely love them. They love the setup. Uh, they're getting a lot of ownership. You know, and again, like, you know, we've talked away from here, but like they can't say anything, you know, about moving to, Le to, to Vegas. It's, it's, it's a great move in terms of getting everything. It's tough. They're going to get interviewed. They're going to sit there and go, we're so pleased to be here. The fans are great here. Uh, we want the opportunity. That's hard. It's hard work. Uh, and, and everyone's got hard work. Like Rooney have got players coming in late and they, they, they're training in the snow. So it's, it's hard around the league. But that is a tough, it's a tough move. Uh, again, looking at we were talking about the um, the turnover as well. It's going to take time for set teams to settle in. I mean, New York had eight debut starters in that team, um, and they just settled a bit quicker. But uh, but Legion Legion will get it going. They've got Rob Shaw to come in, obviously. The Ferno's going to come back. Peterson, that's big names. Um, and uh, you know, it's going to be really really interesting to see them go to Austin next week. Um, and I, I think there's going to be a big bounce back performance from Legion excited to see that game there's a number of good exciting games uh you know for next week but Todd while we're still talking on this week you you were on the ground for for the LA uh Free Jacks game and, and got to see it up close and and you know that was another game that stood out to me obviously I I watched it for personal reasons as well with my attachment to the Guiltinis but I, just as a spectacle as well I felt like it was must-see TV for the launch of this weekend um how did you find that one I mean being on ground I mean the the, the weather was perfect California you know day uh, the, the turf was uh, immaculate, you know, just like being on a carpet, the buzz in the air, um, everything was, was done great. And it was a great brand of rugby. And, you know, the LA Giltinis set piece was amazing. Their scrum was good, caused a lot of pressure, got all penalties, uh, line outs was clean, winning in the front, back, middle, uh, and, and launched off. And, and just as Hose is saying, is they were able to attack and they went wide to wide, wide, um, you know, ill-disciplined by new england um for sure uh, you know across the board um but not once la 
wanted to choose for points. You know, they were going, kicking for the line. They were calling the scrum. They wanted to score those tries, and and that's what they end up doing. So um, it's an exciting brand of rugby that LA is bringing, um, and I think it starts from the ownership, uh, goes down to uh, the GM, and 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 to some of the star-studded players that are, that are across that are that are wanting to uh, you know express themselves and have a great time uh, you know in the states and and, and win, win some good rugby. No, I, th- I thought it was an interesting matchup. I thought, you know, the it was really hard prepping for a Free Jacks team when you, you haven't had no footage, no game, no nothing, like to even know what, what to expect with a new coach, with some with some new signings in that team as well. That, that was the, the, the big factor, I think, from a preparation point, you know, where Giltini's had had one game. So I think Free Jacks probably had a bit more of an idea of how, how, the, how we were at least looking to play the rough, you know, the rough setup of our, you know, attack formation, line out operation, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of the game were, were evident in game one, but I thought game, this game was a big improvement for that, for, for the guillotines, a lot to work on still. I thought, um, still a high error count in, in the game in general. And I think in a lot of the rugby, the turnover rate at the moment being preseason, not a lot of reps, um, all of these things are, are leading to the factor, but then it's making these set, you're getting a lot more set pieces in the game. And, and one of the things that I think is going to be a, a theme this year in, in the, the MLR is the driving more because of the, the, the scrum variation and the reduced amount of resets and the ability is going to scrum teams are kicking the corner so much more. So you, you're starting to see, you know, a lot more driving more opportunities, which leads to a lot more driving more tries, which means I think like even from a team and an aspect, there's going to be a lot more time having to put into mold defense and all the, the stuff offer there. Because I think right now that is, was almost win or losing teams games. And, and I thought the Giltini's more was a real big weapon in, in the game. It, it got them penalties in parts of the field. It got them platform. Uh, it, it got them tries. And, and and I think on on an aspect of a whole, you know, I thought the Free Jacks looked pretty tidy for not playing a game. Like I, I think if you you come into a game cold, you have to travel across from coast to coast. You've got to come up against a team that obviously has star studded a lot of hype behind them, and and they still managed to play. I thought some of their tries they finish off that scrum, the ball over the top by Wacker was was, was lovely. I I thought they you know they had moments. I do expect them to just keep growing as as the game goes on. But I, I thought on a whole, those two probably. In my mind, that was the most complete rugby game of the weekend. Do you agree, Rob? Yeah, I, I think, again, the conditions really, really allowed for some great play. Um, and, you know, obviously the personnel you're looking at there, I, I thought Billy Meeks had a really strong game as a, a fulcrum of the attack for LA because he's he's pinning... You've got to sit on him as a defender. You can't, you can't let him go through inside you. You've got to sit on him. He's a big body and he's coming hard, running great lines out to in. But then he's got the ability to play back around to to get her on the loop, as you saw for the second try. Um, so he's pinning defenders in, and he's doing the hard work to create the space out wide. I mean, it's the same thing. What, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to fight uh, as a team. We're trying to assert our dominance. It, it can either be physically, or you got to find space. You got to find the best space. So even talking about the kick space in the, in the the Legion Rooney game, you've got to manipulate the defense a little bit to find that space. And I thought Meeks did a fantastic job of that. And he let the second wave of runners come round. And when you when he's stopping your footwork as a defender, and then you're chasing Gitto on the loop, you're in trouble. Um, so I thought that was a feature of the play. And then, and then I just think just for Gitto, obviously he's a, he's a class apart, and just the way he he kind of just lies with his eyes, and he, he so he, he draws defenders one way, and then he's just so smooth and he accelerates, and he's not taking big contact. It's kind of it reminds me of playing against Johnny Wilkinson, although it's completely different kind of footwork. Um, but two guys pretty small 
but they don't take heavy contact. So they find little gaps and then the ball's away before the defence is set. So you, you think of them as massive distribution threats, massive kicking threats, but when they go at the line, they time it just right and they're always producing quick ball. No, I, I think spot on. I've been really impressed with him. and I've been impressed with all of the sort of big name stars that have come to the Guiltinis. And I think, you know, you never quite know what to expect. And, and you wonder, if, you know, people coming for the right, wrong reasons to America. Are they here for a jolly? Are they here to give back? Are they here for the team? The, I feel like there's quite a good atmosphere at the club of they're here, we're here to win trophies. And, and the guys are here to build a culture and build build something special from the ground up. And I think they've that sort of, you know, been quite exciting to me. And and someone like Gitto, who's who's been incredibly humble in the team environment for the player and, and the reputation he has and and how he's just applied himself and got into hard work and, and really hasn't, you know, required any sort of special treatment as such. I think that was massive. Another guy that stood out for me, sometimes some of the unsung heroes is Dave Dennis. I think um the way he ran the line out, the the defensively for the they got up well, but I thought the mall a lot of that stuff I thought he had a big emphasis on. His carries were good. His efficiency was good. And and as a skipper, I've been uh, he's been re- really impressive of the way he sort of moved into that leadership role in the squad and and and, and the guys have taken to him. And, it, and it's exciting to see that emerge in such a, a short period of time. And I guess with the MLR, that, that's what we're going to have to do. You know, short period of time, getting stuff right is is the name of the game here. And, and how much do you see this league developing as the season goes on? And teams have more time, more reps and, and everything. And that's just going to lift the competitiveness and the overall product. Yeah, completely. I, I think like um, a, a second row, a lock that can call the shots, be physical, um, be dominant in the line out is worth its weight in gold in this league. And uh, he's obviously pretty handy around the park as well. And uh, as a leader and someone that can galvanize the pack behind him, and they're going to create uh, the space for those men outside. I mean, they're looking very, very potent already. That's awesome. All right. Then looking at some of the other results from the weekend, was there anything else that stood out to you guys or things you wanted to touch on a team that you liked or anything? Yeah. I mean, there was some, uh, there were some upsets. I mean, I was, I was expecting the scoreline to go a little bit different in, uh, in a few of those games. I mean, uh, LA, maybe not so, you know, with that win, um, Atlanta beating Toronto, uh, you know, I know obviously Toronto coming down, uh, Toronto was uh, was looking awesome in, uh, in the five games that they played last se- uh, last season before I got called in season three, um, but Atlanta really took it to them and and uh, and got that victory, which was which was uh, surprising on my end. I, I thought this. I did expect Toronto to to win that game on paper, but this round one, I think one of the biggest themes for me was that all of the games, even the Giltini game, which you know on paper looks like a little bit of a blowout. It was pretty close. They were pretty competitive for large parts of the game. And things from a viewership, from a fan point of view, that that's sort of an exciting factor when you've got games that you know you you're not seeing blowouts and you're not seeing one or two teams run away with it or expected victories. No, exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what uh, you know George Kilbury, the commissioner, said. He goes, "I, I don't want uh, a team to go sixteen and zero. I don't want a team to go zero and sixteen. I want a competitive league, and and that's what uh, you know their, their focus is." So. Uh, obviously, everybody's going for that 16-0, but uh, from the opening weekend and looking at the matchups, and, and like you said, it is week one, and uh, these guys are dusting off the boots because uh, they haven't played in over a year, most of them. So it is exciting to see them you know, get uh, you know, uncaged and, and release uh, and, and, and have an entertaining style of rugby, and, and I'm really impressed across the board uh, with the league of, 
of of what they've done with owners and and the coaches and the players. And then lastly, if we look at the the next weekend's uh, fixtures, is there anything that sticks out to you that you're excited to see? Decided to lose? You already touched on San Diego's bounce back against Austin. I'm I'm looking for Nolan New York. I think is another one that stands out to me. Well, I think Legion uh, Austin is just is is two teams bouncing back. Right, they've got to come up with. I thought I thought Austin were very disappointing. I I, I really uh, think um, I think Sam Harris and Mark Gerard are going to put something together very exciting there. I think they're really going to come into their own as well. I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do. Uh, but fair play to Utah. You know, I think you led by uh, uh, you know your friend and mine, Mikey Tios. Everyone's favourite man to watch and getting loads of touches early in the game. Brilliant to see so much play going through him. Just such an entertaining player and a great man. Utah, like great credit to him. I did expect a bit more from Austin, especially going down so far. They came back late, so that's going to be a bell ringer because both teams have come, got to come out flying. You know, uh, I think you you, you touched on uh, Rooney Nola, Rooney a, 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 on the road again. Uh, I think Marty Veal. Uh, I think Marty Veal is great for, for Rooney. He, he's recently been in Super Rugby. He, he knows the game. And I don't mean in a generic term knows the game. He knows the details of how we need to perform, how we need to train to meet game demands to come out on top. And it's a fantastic win for Marty uh, going away this week and to see if they can go and uh, back it up against the NOLA team that um, just drew... Uh, today against Old Glory, I think that's going to be a great clash as well. No, beautiful. I I, I agree, touching on some of those points. Austin, I expect a little more from too. Uh, we, the Giltinis played them the week before in preseason. And even though the Giltinis won, I thought Austin actually looked pretty good. So expecting some fight from them, especially being back at home. Todd, anything last that you want to touch on on, on the MLR? No, I think we covered a lot of it, and uh, you know, just the excitement. I mean, I, obviously, with uh, with the buzz in your uh, your voice and and me being on the the sideline, and I'm looking forward to uh, to the following weekend. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fantastic uh, season four for MLR. And that is a wrap on the breakdown. Rob, Todd, pleasure to have you on this segment. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it, it's fantastic to have your insights, and we, and we look forward to having you on again. Cheers, fellas. Yeah, looking forward to next week. So, everyone. That is episode one, done and dusted. We got there. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a few growing pains with this show. Things have got to figure out. But, but we got to the finish line of the first episode, which I think is a great result. Uh, you know, Abby, how did you find it? Absolutely loved it. I can see your anxiety levels have gone down a little bit already. So really amped. The passion for rugby is real. Uh, how'd we go, Todd? I mean, catching up with Louie and those stories and his history and his battle, getting uh, in depth and in, into it with, uh, with Rob, we really uh, dived in deep, hit all areas, rugby, international and domestic. Um, I thought it was a great success and I can't wait for next week. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think the guests were fantastic. You guys were fantastic. And, you know, thanks to everyone and all, our, all of our listeners and viewers who are on YouTube. I just want to remind everyone that we appreciate all your support for the show. If you like it, if you've listened to it or watched it, please share it on social media. Subscribe to the show and wherever you listen to your audio platforms to subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and just to stay tuned for more content. Next week's episode, we'll be you know breaking down the MLR. We'll be touching days, hopefully with Abby in Dubai. And then we'll be bringing to you a very special guest as well. That's how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> that's how we're ending yeah, the show. That's Keep that in.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.